Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. Have you ever found yourself, when you're reading through a portion of God's Word, uh, when you get done with the section, you're just sort of uncomfortable? Right, just sort of makes you uneasy, maybe a little squeamish? Like maybe in some of the, the stuff that we've read already today with David and Bathsheba, all those lists of sins that Matthew, Matthew does in, or that Matthew lists, that Jesus talks about, that Matthew writes about in Matthew chapter 5. That was a really bad mouthful. There are some times where you get done with a portion of God's word and you just feel uncomfortable and kind of wish that maybe you just wouldn't have read it. I mean, that's, that's how I felt this week as I was preparing for my sermon. I looked at all three of these lessons that, that are part of the lectionary, the tool we use to, to help me present the whole counsel of God to you. I looked at all three of these readings that were appointed and I was just uncomfortable because who's super comfortable with talking about nothing but sin, right? Because week after week, we do talk about sin. We talk about specific sins, but, but the sins that Jesus gets at today are, are even more specific than maybe some of the things that we talk about, right? Like after all, listen to, listen to how he talks about, talks about this in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. We get that, right? Somebody murders somebody, we want judgment brought down on their head. We get that we're not supposed to murder. But then Jesus goes a step further from moving from outward sins that we can so easily see and we can so easily condemn to sins that happen where? Sins that happen here. To sins that nobody can see and that you'd never really want anybody to see. Listen to how he goes on to this. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. They will be in danger of the fire of hell. But there's a good chance that this past week you hated somebody, that you were really angry with somebody. But we don't always think about that as a sin necessarily, right? This is the kind of stuff that makes us feel uncomfortable talking about. Look at, look at how Jesus talks about uh, another sin later on in Matthew chapter 5. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. What Jesus is doing there is he's saying it's not just the outward act of sex outside of marriage that is a sin, but he says that if you even look at somebody lustfully, you are committing a sin. But lust isn't something that you can see, right? This is an uncomfortable portion of Scripture. It's one that's uncomfortable to talk about. It's one that's uncomfortable to hear. But it's one that's incredibly important because what Jesus is doing is, is kind of showing us that, that these classifications of sins that we make in our own heads and in our own hearts, the difference between, between lust, a, a sin that happens here, and, and adultery that happens as, as an outward act, the, the difference between hatred and murder, there really isn't a difference at all. Instead, sin is sin is sin. And this is what Jesus is getting at, really. Why he spends 17 verses talking so uncomfortably to us about sin is that he calls us to live a holy life. In order to live a holy life, in order to live the life that Jesus calls you to be, this, this disciple of Jesus, it has far more, it, it, it's not just being outwardly obedient, right? Because you can go your whole life living in an outwardly obedient way. You can portray to everybody that you're a Christian, but the reality is there's something going on behind the surface. There are still sins that happen in here, sins that we try to hide from people since we don't want anybody to know about. And this is what makes us uncomfortable. Because if, if God were to lay bare all of our sins that happen right here in our heart, 
I, I don't think many of us would step foot in church again, at least not for a while, because we'd be embarrassed. Living the Christian life, it's about far more than just outward obedience. It's about having an inwardly obedient heart, too. And having an inwardly obedient heart means that you have a heart that chases after the things that God chases after, not the things that humans want. Having an inwardly obedient heart means that you long for the things that God longs for, and you long for the things that God wants you to do and to be and to carry out in your life. In fact, you could make the argument that inward obedience is more important than outward obedience because the only way that, uh, that you can live an outwardly obedient Christian life following all the commands that God gives you to follow is by having a heart that first follows God. You see, this whole Christian life, it, it all starts right here in the heart. And consequently, that's where all of these sins start too, don't they? They start right here in the heart. And this is why Jesus has to spend 17 long, uncomfortable verses in Matthew chapter 5 telling us about not just these outward sins, but these inward sins, because they are incredibly dangerous. And I, I hope you see that. And I hope you realize that they're so dangerous because they're the easiest ones to hide. They're the easiest ones to hide from others. They're the easiest ones to, to stand back and say, well, is that really that bad? They're the, they're the easiest ones to try to convince yourself that they maybe aren't even really sins. They're the, they're the easiest ones to make a classification about. Right? I talked about, I talked about murder and hatred in the or, um yeah, murder and hatred in the children's sermon. When you're walking your Christian life and you, you get really angry with somebody, not everybody has to know that you're angry, but we tend to think, okay, murder is far worse than being angry, so I guess I'm doing a pretty good job living my Christian life, right? We have this, I think the reason, one of the biggest reasons that we tend to classify these sins, I mean, murder and hatred is the, the most obvious one that, that Scripture talks about, but you can put any sins in there, a sin that happens here and a sin that happens outside of you. One of the reasons that we tend to classify these different sins is because of the lens at which we look at them. Our, our worldview is so stilted by the American justice system that, that when you hate somebody in your heart or in your head, and you don't tell anybody about it, right, do you get, you get punished? No, you don't get punished for that. But the minute that somebody takes somebody's life, murdering them, they're arrested, they're thrown into prison, and probably given a death sentence if the death penalty is a thing in that state. And this is the worldview in which we impose looking at our Christian life. And we think, yeah, okay, the sin that happened in my heart, it's not nearly as bad as the sin that happens outside of my body. Look, the real danger with, with these inward sins that Jesus mentions this morning, it's this. It's that you do them for long enough, and you hide them for long enough. Your conscience, that little voice in your head that tells you when you're doing something wrong, it eventually becomes numb to it, doesn't it? Numb to a point where you don't really feel guilt about doing that sin anymore. And in fact, your conscience might become so numb that you don't even think that it's a sin anymore. And that's kind of a slippery slope in two different ways. It's a slippery slope in, in, in the first way in that if you're thinking, if your conscience has convinced you that this thing, like hatred, isn't a sin anymore, you're going to try to find other things that your conscience might be okay with, right? The other slippery slope that it leads to, and, and this is, you see this very clearly in, in our first reading for this morning, is that these, outward si these inward sins that you commit, like hatred, or in David's case, lust, when you're okay with the inward sin, not thinking it's a sin anymore, well, it won't take very long for that to turn into an outward action, or multiple outward actions that, you know, initially the sin, it didn't start out as something that hurt somebody, but 
but then it moves into something that not only hurts yourself, and, but also hurts other people. And it all starts right here. I mean, just look at, look at how this happened to David. We just read the story, but David was the man after God's own heart. He was God's chosen king after God rejected Saul as king for his idolatry. He's the one that that scripture says there's nobody else like him. And yet one day as, as David is walking around on his roof, he sees this very beautiful woman who's bathing on the roof below and he's consumed with lust. And instead of just being a man after God's own heart and getting rid of this lust, what does he do? He lets this lust fester a little bit. He toys with the sin of lust. And then pretty soon he calls in some attendants to figure out who this person is. It's Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, part of David's royal guard, one of his best soldiers. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care that this wife belongs to some other man. He is so consumed by this initial sin that started right here in his heart that he brings her up and he commits adultery with her. And this adultery it it ends up with Bathsheba becoming pregnant. And now David's got two really big problems. Not only did he commit a sin and disregard the fact that he was a man after God's own heart, but now he's got a pregnancy he's got to try to cover up. Because Uriah, he was out on the battle lines. There is no possible way for Uriah to be the father of this child that came as a result of David and Bathsheba's sins. And so now he's got to figure out a way to, to cover it up. So cover up attempt number one. He calls Uriah in from the front lines. He, he tries to make nice with Uriah. And of course, Uriah has, has no idea what's going on. Tries to make nice with Uriah, asks how the war is going, asks how Joab, the commander, is doing. And then he tells him to go and wash his feet, which is a way of David saying, go and relax. Go and spend time with your wife, Bathsheba. Go and, go and enjoy the comforts of your home. And really what the underlying thing that David wants, that David wants Uriah to do is to go and sleep with his wife so he can cover up this pregnancy and it all be done. But Uriah is such a faithful man of God and he's such a faithful soldier to David that he refuses to go and sleep with his wife, to go and sleep in the comfort of his own home while the rest of the soldiers and the Ark of the Covenant are out in the field in the middle of the country. And so he sleeps in the the front of the palace. Cover up attempt number two. David gets a little bit angry with Uriah because his plan doesn't work. So so David says, why don't you stay here another day and, and relax a little bit more, then you can go back to battle. And that night, David calls in Uriah. He, he feeds him a big feast. He gets him drunk in the hope that in his drunken stupor, he'll wander home and go and find his wife. Cover up the sin, problem solved. But it doesn't work that way because Uriah is such a faithful soldier, such a faithful man of God. And so he sleeps with all the servants in front of the palace gate. And so finally, David has to resort, has to, uh, resort to one of the worst things, in fact, that you'll find in the Old Testament. David writes a letter to Joab, the commander of his army, and says, I want you to put Uriah on the very front of the battle line where the fighting is the fiercest, and then I want you to draw back all of your other men so that Uriah will be struck down and die. And then you know what he does with this letter? Did you catch that? He folds it up, and he gives it to Uriah. Uriah has no idea that the letter he is carrying for Joab is his death sentence. So Joab, being the good company man that he is, when he gets this letter, puts Uriah on the front line, front battle lines. He draws his men back, and Uriah is killed. And look at what happened. Terrible, isn't it? Murder, deception, cover-up, adultery, coveting. All with one sin. All with one sin that nobody could see. A sin that started right here. And this is why Jesus spends 17 verses talking not just about outward sins, but inward sins. Because you see, 
just from that story of David, we see how, how dangerous something like this is. And if this happens to David, a man after God's own heart, a man, as scripture says, there is nobody else like, if this can happen to David, do you think that maybe it could or, or it would or it has happened to you in your life? It's happened to mine. Maybe not to the extent that, that David carried out, but sin is sin, is sin, right? We've all been there. We've all toyed with that, that pet sin that we keep running back to time and again. Not necessarily a sin that you can see, but a sin that happens right here in your heart. And you, you toy with it and you let it fester long enough until, it, until the sin that didn't harm anybody initially but yourself becomes a, a hateful word spoken or a harmful action taken. And there's a good chance that it's not just happened in your past, but it will happen again. And this is why Jesus says what he says in Matthew chapter 5. Because what Jesus says in the, in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew chapter 5 is it's a call to live a holy life. But in order to live a holy life, do you know what you need? Not just faith, not just Jesus, but you need to have a healthy fear of what sin can do. This is why Jesus spends 17 verses talking about this. To give us a healthy fear of sin because he knows exactly what sin can do and exactly where sin will lead if it goes unchecked. I mean, for Pete's sakes, read through the Gospels and what happens to the disciples. And you, you see how Jesus experienced what happens when you let sin fester in your heart. It happened to Judas, didn't it? Judas let the sin of greed fester in his heart until it morphed into betrayal for Jesus, selling him for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus experienced this firsthand with his disciple Peter when, when Peter let the, the, the inward sins of fear and doubt morph into abandonment. Jesus hung on a cross and experienced your sin and my sin and and understood exactly where sin leads when he gave up his life and experienced the reality of hell, a complete and utter and total separation from God. Jesus knows exactly what will happen if you let these inward sins get the best of you. You let them fester and morph into some sort of outward action. And his sins, when he died on the cross for all of your sins, he paid the price for each and every one of them so that none of you would have to experience the reality of what it's like to, to, to be completely separated from God forever. And so he calls each and every one of us today to live a holy life. To live a life that is filled with a, with a healthy fear of sin. To not hide the sins that, are, that happen inwardly in your heart, but to come to him and recognize that there is forgiveness, that there is peace, there is life, there is somebody who can help you struggle through these sins that ha- are happening to you. And do you know where all of this starts? This holy life, this healthy fear of sin, it all starts right here. It all starts in your heart. It starts the moment that God breaks your stony, sinful heart to pieces. And the hammer that he uses to break, these, break your heart to pieces, it's the hammer of his law that makes you painfully aware of the sins that you've committed. And it has to be this way because it's only with a heart that is made painfully aware of sin by the law that can be fully and totally healed by the beautiful promises of the gospel. This holy life and this healthy fear of sin, it all starts with a heart that is made right by God, a heart that trusts in God for all of the forgiveness of sins that you could ever want or need. And this is crucial to living the Christian life because you realize just how often this has happened, right? Where you fail to live the life, where you fail to live a life that has a healthy fear of sin. And when that happens, when you fall short of the standard of perfection that God demands from each and every one of you, you run. And God points you back to the cross where all of your sins were forgiven. And he says, my child, I paid for all of this. It is all finished. And now move on. 
Don't dwell on these sins of your past. Instead, move on and live the holy life that I call you to live. And I'm not just telling you to go out and live it. I'm giving you the strength. I am equipping you. I am giving you the resolve to live this life. This is why living the Christian life is so important. Why having a healthy fear of sin is so important. Because Jesus knows exactly what can happen if you let these things go unchecked. God has called you to live this life and has warned you about what sin can do. And this warning from Jesus, it's, it's sort of like if you have kids, right? You, you warn a kid, a young child, not to touch a hot stove because they're going to get burned. Do you do that because you hate your child? Do you do that because you are, are sucking the joy and fun out of life? No. Why do you do this? You do it because you love them. And you do it because you are so concerned for their safety. The same thing with this calling and this warning that Jesus gives to us. It's not like he's being a fun sucker. It's not like he's being this overbearing ogre that doesn't want you to enjoy the life that he's given you to live. No, he is so concerned for your life and for your eternity that he makes this, that he makes this out of love. And I wish, I wish that I could stand up here this morning and I tell you, this is exactly how for each of your individual situations that you live this holy life, a life that is completely set out apart for God, a life that says yes to Jesus and says no to sin. I wish I could help you struggle through all of the individual sins that you have and show you this is the pathway out. But I don't have time in a 20-minute sermon to do that. And I also don't think that you would want me to speak individually about every single one of the sins that you're struggling with. So instead, what I'm going to do this morning in, in contemplating living the holy life and, and having this healthy fear of sin in your life, I'm going to give you some of the practical wisdom that God has granted me as I've walked a life next to him. And it's nothing earth-shattering, it's nothing mind-blowing, but boy, does it make all the difference. And living the Christian life, it all starts right here. It all starts in a heart that is chasing after and trying to understand the heart of God and is intimately connected to him. And the one way that that happens is by being deeply, deeply immersed in the word of God. Because it's only in the word of God where God truly reveals himself to you. It's only in the word of God where God tells you exactly who he is, exactly what he wants from you, exactly what he has done for you and how much he loves you. It is only in the word of God where God reveals to you what it is that he wants you to do and the things that you should avoid in this Christian life. And I'm not just talking about being deeply immersed in the Word of God on a Sunday morning for an hour like you are today. I'm talking about every day. I'm talking about every day starting your, starting your day off with, with a deep dive into the heart of God that's, as it's found in His Word. And I don't care whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes. My encouragement to you is just to do it. It's just do it. Because I can, I can promise you that by the times in my life, where I have personally struggled the most in living the Christian life, where I've personally struggled the most as a disciple of Jesus, where I've struggled the most with sin, are when the, my devotional life has taken a complete backseat, when it has been almost non-existent because everything else that I was doing I thought was way more important. But I can tell you that the times when the Christian life is a little bit easier is when I am deeply immersed in the Word of God every single day. So my encouragement to you is, is to do just that. To immerse yourself in the word of God as, as often and as much as you can. Because when that happens, when you do that, God promises you something. He promises that your relationship with him will grow. 
He promises that he is going to equip you and to strengthen your faith until the very day that he calls you home. Living the Christian life, the life that has a, a healthy fear of sin, it all starts right here in your heart by, with your heart being deeply immersed in the word of God. And it also starts with a heart that is actively engaged in prayer. We have this tendency to make prayer way more complicated than it needs to be sometimes. We think it's got to be this perfect combination of poetry and prose and we have to say all the right things at all the right times and all the right ways. That's not prayer. You might hear some nice sounding prayers that are written in a book on a Sunday morning, but, but prayer is simply the privilege of a believer that God gives to you. It's a one-on-one conversation with your Heavenly Father. Prayer is as simple as thanking God for everything that he is and everything that he has done for you. It is confessing the times where you failed to live the Christian life and asking for his continual forgiveness and love and mercy. Praying is as simple as saying to God, I know what it is that you want me to do. I know this is what I'm trying to do, but I realize I'm going to fall short. So I'm asking for your help and your strength and your grace and your forgiveness to live the life that you have called me to live. Living the Christian life, it all starts right here in a prayer, in a heart that is actively engaged in prayer with your God. You know what God says about prayer? He says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. He promises that your prayer doesn't fall on deaf ears. He promises that he listens to every single one of your prayers and that, and that he will give you an answer. The answer may not always look like what you want, but as God who knows all things, who loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine, he is going to give you his answer in his own time, in his own way. Living the Christian life that, that God calls us to live, living with this healthy fear of sin, it all starts... Right here. It all starts in the heart. It starts with a heart that knows to avoid sin. It starts with a heart that completely trusts in God's grace and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. It starts with a heart that is deeply immersed in the word of God. It starts with a heart that is actively engaged in a conversation with God. As you go out into this world today, the rest of this week, the rest of your life, and you seek to live the holy life that God calls you to live, I pray that God would would grant you a heart like that. Amen.